In my early days, I faced a pivotal moment in my career. Instead of following the herd into traditional finance, I charted my own course. Despite skepticism, I founded my investment firm driven by a belief in economic truth and fiscal responsibility. Through perseverance, I established myself as a leading voice in finance, proving that sometimes blazing your own path is the best way to succeed. To get what you want, sometimes you have to challenge the status quo and blaze your own trail. That's what Harry's did. Seeing people tricked by expensive razors, Harry's took a stand. Instead of pricey options, they offer high-quality razors at a fraction of the cost. That's why when it comes to grooming my face, I use Harry's. Harry's understands the value of quality without breaking the bank. Their razors provide a smooth shave every time, and their shaving gel leaves my skin feeling refreshed and moisturized. So don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com gold. That's harrys.com gold for a $3 trial set. Let's talk finance. Wouldn't it be convenient to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one spot? Yahoo Finance does just that. It consolidates your portfolio views and offers expert analysis, making it easier to manage your investments. Let's not beat around the bush. You want to grow your portfolio, fight inflation, pay off debts, and achieve financial freedom. Yahoo Finance provides the news, data, and tools to make that happen. You may think you've covered all the bases, savings, researching, and investing smartly. But to truly excel, you need Yahoo Finance in your corner. A holistic perspective is crucial for success, and Yahoo Finance ensures you have it. With a massive community of over 90 million users monthly, Yahoo Finance is here to guide you on your path to financial success. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. The Peter Schiff Show. I want to give a special shout out to the newest sponsor of the Peter Schiff Show podcast, Raycon Wireless Earbuds. Let's thank Raycon for supporting the Peter Schiff Show podcast. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbud on the market. And you can get a 15% discount off an already low price when you buy your Raycon earbuds at buyraycon.com forward slash gold. The main story in the financial markets continues to be the run-up in the price of gold, hitting new all-time record highs now in terms of dollars. In fact, the new high that I saw last night was 1981 for spot gold. I think the futures uh, ticked up to 2000, but in the spot market, we came to within $19 of $2,000 gold. In fact, silver was above 26. I think I saw it at about 26.15 or 26.20 before we had a pretty significant reversal on Reversal Tuesday, although it happened Tuesday night uh, overseas, not really Tuesday uh, here in the U.S., although the reversal that we had today was that the markets opened lower and reversed positive because gold, which actually opened down maybe about 10 or 15 bucks in the U.S., closed up that amount. As I am recording this podcast slightly shortly after the U.S. stock market uh, shut for trading, we're almost at 1960 
on the price of gold. That's almost up $17 from yesterday's close. Silver, on the other hand, is still negative on the day. I'm looking at spot silver at 24.36, but it was down over a dollar when the morning trading started. So we were up like a dollar and a half, dollar seventy. Then we sold off uh, to down more than a dollar. So a lot of volatility coming into the market, which you would expect. But the market seems to be very strong. Uh, gold is holding support now, actually at 1900. It didn't even get below 1900 during today's pullback. In fact, we set the record high on Sunday night. I mean, I think we made a record close on Friday. And I mentioned that on Friday's podcast that we closed at a new record. But we actually didn't trade at an intraday record until Sunday night when we got above 1920 or 22-ish to take out the intraday high from 2011, not the closing high. And now we've made uh, higher highs in the last couple of days. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, we've got clear sailing for the price of gold to go much, much higher. Obviously, silver, too, has a long way to go just to get back up to the 2011 high of $50. I don't even see much resistance for silver until we get to around $30. So I think silver may pause at some point and it may coincide with some type of pullback in the price of gold. Although I'm really not sure from what price gold is going to pull back from because it certainly can be a much higher price than, than this. Although while I'm thinking about it, before I forget, I want to mention, you know, a lot of Euro-Pacific Capital clients have been calling up and speaking to their brokers wanting to get heavier into gold and gold mining stocks because I've been talking about it on the podcast. And I am talking about it because gold is really what's moving right now. And when I'm talking on the podcast, a lot of times I'm not talking to my clients who already own a lot of gold and a lot of gold stocks, but to just listeners of the podcast, many of whom are not clients and may not own any gold or any gold mining stocks. And so I want them to get into this market because I see some dramatic short-term upside in the price of gold and even more uh, specifically in gold stocks. So I want people to buy, but that does not mean I want anybody to go all in on gold stocks. You know, I have a lot of clients who are calling up whose accounts might already be 25, 35, 40% gold stocks, wanting to buy more gold stocks and selling their other stocks to do it. You don't need to do that. You're already positioned. I mean, I positioned my clients years ago to be in gold stocks. You don't have to buy more now if you're already in. Now, if you think you have an underweighting in gold and gold stocks and you want to top up your allocation, that might be a different story. But brokers are relating to me that clients are trying to get all in. And I never advise that. I mean, there's no reason to put everything in gold or gold mining stocks. I mean, first of all, if I'm right about how high these stocks are going to go, you'll make a lot of money with a with an allocation. You, you know, the, a little bit will go a long way when you're talking about 10, 20 times your money, which is what I think we can get in these stocks. But on the other hand, you know, there's a risk. I mean, I could be wrong. You don't want to go all in on something that has risk when there's other assets that you can also own 
that will provide a good hedge against a weak dollar that don't require the price of gold to go up. And in fact, they don't even require the dollar to go down. If you invest in foreign dividend paying stocks because you think the dollar is going to go down, the dollar doesn't have to go down for those investments to work out. They'll work out better if the dollar goes down. But if it doesn't go down, if it just stays where it is, you're not losing money. You're still getting your dividends. And the reality is these foreign countries are in much better economic shape than the United States and their stock markets are at much better valuation. So even if nothing bad happens to the dollar, I think people will make a lot more money investing in the foreign markets and the foreign companies that we're selecting than being in the U.S. stock market. So we're building portfolios that get clients out of the U.S. dollar that aren't all gold. They're not just a huge one-way bet on gold and gold stocks. Gold and gold stocks are part of the portfolio, and they're an important part, but the key is, that they're part of a diversified portfolio that includes a higher allocation to less riskier investments that can pay off in good times as well as bad, right? Basically, the gold bet is that the U.S. collapses, the dollar collapses. And I think that's the bet that's going to pay off. But I want to make sure that we have portfolios that will still do well over time, even if that bet turns out to be wrong or turns out to be premature. Because after all, look, I've been talking about this for many, many years. I mean, in fact, you know, 10 years ago, I would have thought that the dollar would have collapsed before today, that gold would already be much higher than it is now. So I was wrong in uh, that estimation of how long this would take. Now, I don't think I'm wrong now just because I was wrong back then, because the problems are so much bigger now than they were a decade ago. And therefore, I think our ability to kick the can down the road again, uh, I think, is gone. I mean, yes, I underestimated that ability before, but at this point, it's impossible. Uh, and, and so I don't really see how the U.S. government, how the Federal Reserve is going to stop gold from going up. I mean, if you go back in time to the last two major rallies in the price of gold, right? The first one was in the 70s where gold went from $35 an ounce when the decade began to $850 when the decade ended. Now, why did gold stop going up? Why did it go into a 20-year bear market right? that didn't bottom out until 2000 when gold was at you know under $250? What started that 20-year bear market in gold and what saved the dollar from what looked like you know certain death in the 1970s when it was just getting killed and it was in free fall against all the world's currencies. It was Paul Volcker and his willingness to do things that were very unpopular, which was allow interest rates to rise sharply to whatever the market was going to take them. You know, it's not like Paul Volcker just decided that he would put interest rates up to 20%. What Paul Volcker did was get out of the way and let the market find an equilibrium. And that's where interest rates went. They went up to 20%. Now, that was short-term rates. Long-term treasuries never got that high. I do believe that they got up to around 14% for a a 30-year or 10-year treasury. That's where the market put them. But prior to that, the Fed had been artificially suppressing interest rates, printing too much money to fund the Great Society, the War on Poverty, the Vietnam War, the missions to the moon, all that stuff. And so the dollar was 
you know, plunging and inflation was ravaging the country. We had all the stagflation. And so the Fed did what it took. They did the right thing. And Reagan was president and he supported Paul Volcker for doing the right thing. The opposite of Donald Trump. Right. I mean, Powell, you know, notched up rates a tiny bit. And the president was like, we got to fire the guy. He's terrible. Uh, Meanwhile, Reagan defended Volcker for letting rates go up to 20 percent. And it was early in Reagan's first term. But because Reagan stood behind a Fed chairman who actually did the right thing and there was a lot of other pressure, political pressure, the public, you know, was you know burning uh, Volcker and effigy. I mean, they did not like this. The recession that we had in 81, 82 timeframe was the worst recession since the Great Depression at that time. But because he did the right thing early in Reagan's first term and Reagan stood by him, that's why Reagan had a second term, because then the economy started to recover because of the bitter tasting medicine that the Fed, you know, made us swallow. Now, of course, if we would have swallowed even more bitter tasting medicine in the terms of spending cuts, which Reagan was in favor of, but was never able to get through Tip O'Neill in the Democratic Congress, if we would have had that, we would have had a much better recovery, a much more solid and longer lasting. Maybe we would be on a very different trajectory right now had Reagan been able to tackle deficits in government spending, which was something that he campaigned to do, but was never able to deliver in his eight years as president. But that's what it took to stabilize the dollar and to break the gold rally and to send gold back down. Now, it never got all the way back down to where it started at $35 an ounce. It really fell back down to about 400 and it kind of traded around four or 500 for a while. And then later in the 1990s, it broke lower and it got down below 300, you know, during the dot-com mania uh, when everybody was, you know, completely crazy and they lost their minds. So, so there was irrational exuberance when it came to tech stocks, but there was irrational pessimism uh, when it came to gold and it drove it to, you know, below 300. And at the very bottom, that's when Eddie George over at the Bank of England decided it was a great time for the UK to unload uh, their gold reserves. And basically that put in the low. Uh, the uh, the Bank of England uh, basically out Gartman, Guinness Gartman before he was even, uh, you know, that popular. And, and they picked the absolute low in the price of gold and they bailed out. And of course, the British are suffering and will suffer from that asinine decision. I mean, look at how much the price of gold has gone up in terms of British pounds in particular. It's gone up more against the pound than it has against the dollar. Uh, but the, my point is the Fed was able to stop the gold rally uh, with those rate hikes, allowing rates to rise. Now, how did we stop the next gold rally, which was the one that peaked out in 2011 when gold got to 1900? What stopped that? What caused gold to pull back from 1900? And that was the Fed's ability. Somehow, they were able to convince the world and everybody who was worried that QE uh, would end a disaster and that 0% interest rates would be a failure. The Fed was able to convince everybody that the programs worked and because they worked, they were temporary and would be ended and that the Fed was going to start normalizing interest rates and shrink the balance sheet back down to pre 
2008 crisis levels. And the market actually believed it. The market believed the Fed. So the Fed didn't actually have to raise rates to stop gold from rising. It just convinced the world that it would raise rates. Now, it didn't because it couldn't, but the world didn't realize that, that the Fed can't actually do what it claimed, right? It was all uh, all uh, bark and no bite when it came to rate hikes, although eventually uh, they had to start raising rates somewhat because they had been talking about it for so long without doing it. And so they eventually started notching rates up very slowly. And we know how that ended in the fourth quarter of 2018 when, you know, all hell broke loose in the stock market and the Fed had a reverse course and go back to uh, QE and, and back to rate cuts. But the other thing that helped keep a lid on gold and keep the dollar propped up was then the rest of the world. Europe, in particular, started its own QE program and negative interest rates. So you had a lot of help from bad monetary policy abroad, which made our policy look not as bad by comparison. So all of a sudden, we were the cleanest dirty shirt in a hamper, and that perception helped to uh, you know to keep uh, the dollar propped up and to keep keep gold down. But here we are now, right? Now we have another big rally in gold. This rally started from about a thousand, right? Because that was the bottom of the correction from the 1900 high to the 2015 low, which was a little over a thousand. I think a thousand fifty or so uh, is about where we got. And now we're up almost at 2000. So we've almost doubled off that low. We're at new highs. So what rabbit is the Fed going to pull out of its hat to stop gold from rallying this time? I I think the hat's empty. There's no more rabbits in there. Again, 1980, they stopped gold's rally by letting rates go way up. In 2011, they stopped the rally by pretending they would eventually raise rates, but they couldn't actually raise them because we had too much debt. You see, in 1980, the reason that we let interest rates go up to 20% was because we could afford it. It wasn't fun. It was painful, but we had the money. We were still a wealthy, sovereign nation with a lot of savings and trade surpluses and current account surpluses. So we could afford to pay those rates. By 2011, we couldn't, but we pretended that we could. And the world was dumb enough to actually buy the pretense. But here we are now in 2020, nobody is that dumb. They might've been that dumb then. So the Fed can't raise rates like they did in 1980, and they can't pretend they're gonna raise rates like they did in 2011. So what are they going to do? Nothing. There is nothing they can do. Now, is there something that I haven't thought of? I don't know, maybe. But obviously, since I can't think of it, I can't discuss it. So is it possible that there's a rabbit in there that I I can't see? Maybe. And so that's why we're not going to go all in, right? Because you don't know what you don't know. So it is possible that there is a way to kick this can down the road again, I just can't see it, <laughs> you know, and, and but but the bottom line is we don't have to go all in. There is so much opportunity in the foreign markets and the emerging markets that just having an allocation of gold and gold stocks is all you need. Now, if you don't have any gold stocks, if you've been listening to my podcast for all these years and you've not bought any, if you don't have any gold, well, you got to buy it now. I mean, it's unfortunate that you didn't do it when it was cheaper, but you know what? 
Do it now. Just don't go all in. And if we get a pullback, then you could buy some more, right? Especially if you're still working and you're still earning money, as you have new money that you haven't spent and you want to have a place to put it, you can put it in gold. You can put it in gold stocks. But I have other funds. I've been talking a lot about my gold fund, right? But don't ignore uh, my value fund, my dividend payers fund, my emerging market fund or my bond fund, you know, and, you know, so they're there, you know, so if you're going out and you're looking at these funds, don't go all in on gold. And obviously the younger you are, uh, the bigger allocation that you can have to gold stocks. But if you're a lot older, if you're retired, look, you don't need to get rich, right? Especially if you're already rich, you just don't want to go broke. So you just need more conservative dividend paying stocks and an allocation to gold stocks as an extra hedge. And then you can have gold, physical gold, uh, as a safe store of value, as opposed to keeping cash. You know, one thing that you can do with your dollars before they become worthless is use them to buy a pair of Raycon earbuds. Whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, especially if it's a Peter Schiff Show podcast. And everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. So before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. In fact, I got my pair in the mail the other day. Uh, I got a free pair, but I actually have a far more expensive pair of earbuds that I had bought on my own in the market. So I did a little test and, you know, I, I tried out both pairs and you know what? I couldn't really tell the difference. I mean, they're both great. The sound quality is great. They fit comfortably in your ear. Uh, but uh, the Raycons were less than half the price of what I had paid uh, for the ones that I had already bought. So why pay more when you can pay less? I teamed up with Raycon and they're offering 15% off when you buy your Raycon earbuds at buyraycon.com gold. In fact, the only problem I had so far with these uh, earbuds is keeping them away from my seven-year-old son. You know, he was with me when we were testing these things out, and now he loves them, and he's constantly, you know, taking these things away from me because he wants to he wants to use them with his iPad. So I'm probably going to have to go out and get another pair, which I can do because you know these things are 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 very affordable relative to what I had paid in the past. So I really think they're an ideal sponsor for the Peter Schiff Show podcast because you can listen to the Peter Schiff Show podcast using your Raycon earbuds. Unlike some of the other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems to distract anyone uh, during video calls. The company was founded by Ray J. Some celebrities like Snoop Dogg uh, use them. Uh, so I think they're great. So get the latest and the greatest from Raycon Get 15% off when you buy your pair at buyraycon.com slash gold. That's buyraycon.com slash gold for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash gold. As a public person, I am hyper aware of safety and security. Delete Me finds and removes any personal information you don't want online, and it makes sure it stays offline. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process, helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. Sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts will take it from there. Delete Me sends you 
regular personalized privacy reports showing what information they found, where they found it, and what they removed. Delete Me isn't just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information that you don't want on the internet. So take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. Now at a special discount for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com gold and use the promo code gold at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com gold and enter code gold at checkout. That's joindeleteme.com gold, code gold. We all make mistakes, decisions that we regret, things we'd like to do over, like not buying Bitcoin when you first heard about it at $1. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. At times, therapy has helped me and my loved ones in many ways. Therapy isn't just for those who've experienced major traumas. With the right guide, you can discover effective strategies to minimize distractions and truly connect with your needs, setting the stage for a more balanced life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a life therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge take a moment visit betterhelp.com slash gold today to get 10 percent off your first month that's betterhelp help.com slash gold enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at betmgm sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet when you register with betmgm you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features live betting options and the best daily promotions in the business and with betmgm at your fingertips every play and every game matters more than ever place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park But, you know, I think one of the things that's even more, more uh, ridiculous to me, you know, it's not just, you know, to watch the price of gold go up, but watching the mainstream uh, financial coverage of the price of gold and the price of silver, right? I mean, these guys are really clueless as to what's going on. You know, Jim Cramer, who at least to his credit on CNBC, has been bullish on gold. But he's kind of bullish for the wrong reasons. I mean, he says that the reason people are buying gold is because they think there's never going to be a COVID uh, vaccine, <laughs> which, you know, doesn't matter to me. I mean, I'd like to see a vaccine just as because I think it'd be good for society, good for my fellow man, good for me personally. I mean, yeah, I'd love to see a COVID vaccine. I'd love to see a COVID cure. But I- it doesn't matter whether we have a vaccine or not. Gold's going much higher, even if they cure COVID tomorrow. The problem is all the money has already been printed. And yes, the extra money that we've printed since COVID is making a bad situation worse. 
And the longer we stay in this deeper recession because of COVID, then yes, the Fed's going to print even more money. So COVID is very bullish for gold. The lack of a vaccine is bullish for gold, but it doesn't matter because there's so many other things that are already bullish for gold. And the problem isn't, it isn't COVID or the lack of a vaccine. The problem is all the money printing. The problem is what the government is doing because there's no COVID vaccine. But even if there is a COVID vaccine, the Fed's not going to stop printing. The government's not going to stop spending. This recession is going to continue with or without a COVID vaccine. The bubble has already popped. The air is coming out. And we're paying for the mistakes, not since COVID came on the scene, but for the last 10, 20 years that we've been kicking the can down the road before anybody even knew COVID existed. So these chickens were coming home to roost anyway, right? We were going to keep this date with destiny. The date is just even worse now because we have COVID. And what it's doing, obviously, is accelerating a process that already started well after it should have. So that's what Kramer doesn't seem to get. But then I was watching this guy, Brian Sullivan, who... He's a nice guy. I mean, I, I you know, he's I like him personally, and I'm listening to him. And you know, he's talking about gold and silver going up, and and then he basically says, "Well, you know, at least silver has a use." He's trying to figure out why they're going up, and he goes, "Well, you know, silver at least it's used for something. Gold isn't used for anything." And you know, so people who are buying it, I mean, why are they buying it? Because it has no use. And you know, and it's still again, that's the the crypto. When these crypto guys try to tell me that gold has no use. Of course it has a use. If you don't think gold has a use, just Google uses for gold and you can read all the uses that gold has. Gold is so valuable because it's so useful. That's the reason it's so valuable. It's not just some mystical reason like, oh, people just want gold even though it's useless. They just want it. No, it's because it's so useful that they want it. And the reason it's a store of value is because you can use it in the future. Because all those uses that gold has, no matter how long you hold on to it, you can still use it for those things. That's not the case with a lot of other commodities that corrode or that rot, right? That you can use it now, but if you hold on to it for 10 years, you won't be able to use it. You can hold on to gold indefinitely and still use it as if it was brand new, uh, just dug out of the ground. But probably one of the one of the most bullish things was Dennis Gartman came on. He was on Fox Business this morning and he was like, I'm getting out of gold. Right. Gold is at, you know, 1940. And he's like, I'm getting out of gold. Well, first of all, I think you have to be in gold to get out of it. I'm not really sure when he got in. I mean, he gets in and out all the time. Maybe he just got in the evening before at 1980. And then that morning, because it pulled back, is when he decided to get out. I don't know. I didn't even realize that he was in gold in order to get out of it. But he's been a pretty good uh, contrarian indicator. Again, I like Dennis. He's a nice guy. And all kidding aside, he has been a pretty good uh, contrarian indicator. And seeing him say, get out of gold, you know, in fact, you know, I, I would have been a little bit nervous. He was like, yeah, time to go all in. I mean, you know, at some point, he probably will get back in again, and that might be the beginning of a, of a pullback. But the fact that he's now saying get out, pretty much that's the all clear to keep buying uh, because the pullback, or at least a significant pullback, is likely nowhere in sight. But uh, one of the best contrarian indicators, I think, was this horrible article that I read. Guy wrote it was Bruce Bartlett of the New Republic. Probably one of the worst articles I've ever read about gold, right? And 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 how inaccurate it was. And and basically, this guy uh, 
and he was prompted, I think, maybe by Judy Shelton's uh, being nominated and her, you know, prior support of uh, return to a gold standard. And basically, he said that only a crackpot, right, that this is a nutty crackpot idea to believe in a gold standard. Like, it's a terrible, ridiculous thing. Like, in other words, the founding fathers were a bunch of crackpots. And this nation was on a gold standard you know, for over 100 years, I mean, 150 years. In fact, we really were on a version of the gold standard until 1971. But, you know, we had the Industrial Revolution. We had the Gilded Age. We had the most prosperous period of economic growth the world has ever seen under a gold standard, yet somehow it was a crackpot idea. And that what we've got now is somehow an improvement on that idea, which is complete nonsense. But then he actually quoted me in there or mentioned me And he basically said that what I do for a living, that I tout gold because I'm selling gold trinkets to unsophisticated investors. So in other words, shift gold customers or anybody who buys gold, they're unsophisticated, right? So the only way that people will buy gold is if I can dupe them into it because they're so unsophisticated that they're going to buy into my crackpot idea. But no smart, sophisticated investor would buy any gold, except the problem is the smartest, most sophisticated investors out there, they're the ones that are buying gold. It's the unsophisticated guys like this guy, Bruce Bartlett, that aren't buying any gold. You know, that is also part of the problem with CNBC, right? They they have to find people to talk about gold because it's making new highs, except none of their guests who are on their regular rotation own any gold. They've never recommended anybody buy any gold. I mean, guys like me who used to recommend buying gold, they kicked me off the air, right? So they can't bring me on now to talk about gold because they don't let me on. So they're not, they don't let the gold bugs on. So they have to bring on people who know nothing about gold because if they knew something about gold, they would have been telling people to buy it like I was. So they got people who don't know anything about gold on television trying to explain why gold's going up. So of course they get it wrong because if they understood why it was going up, they would have bought it themselves. But they didn't. But there are some smarter people that are out there that are buying gold. Uh, It's just that this guy, Bruce Bartlett, uh, is ignoring that. In fact, he quoted uh, a CNBC misquote that a lot of people who make fun of me like to point this out because I was on CNBC. I think this was like in 2012 or 14 or something like that. And I said I thought gold was going to go to 5,000. And they pressed me and they said, well, when? And I said, I don't know. And they said, well, when? We need to know when is it going to be 5,000? And I said, a few years. So the next day, CNBC writes a story about that interview. You can still see the interview on there, on the the website, where I say, I think gold can go to 5,000 in a few years. Their headline was, Peter Schiff says gold will be at 5,000 in two years. Now, I didn't say that. I said a few years. Uh, but now every time people want to discredit me, they say, hey, Peter said gold would be at 5000 in two years. And look, he was wrong. And so he doesn't know what he's talking about. Look, I will admit that it's taking a few years longer than I thought, but I did not put a precise time period. I didn't say two years. I said a few. Now you could say, hey, a few is three or four. And I would agree. I did not think it would take this many, but I didn't know exactly how long. So I said a few. Now, did I think a few would end up being 10 or 12? Probably not. But I, the fact that I, I said gold was going to go to 5,000, if it gets there in the next couple of years, I think my prediction was pretty damn good. 
But in fact, I think it's going a lot higher now. Back then, I assumed that gold would go to 5,000 and that that would be a peak. Now, I just think that's going to be a short-term stop to a much, much higher peak because since I gave that interview, we've made a lot more mistakes. We've blown a lot more air into the bubble. This is now a far bigger problem than it was back then. So my price target is much higher now for gold than it was back then. And I even challenged this guy publicly to debate me on gold standard versus the fiat standard, on gold versus fiat money. I really wanted to argue with this guy uh, and defend myself and have him try to defend his perspective. So I challenged him to a live uh, debate on YouTube, no response. I sent him a couple of personal direct messages to his Twitter account. He ignored all of my messages. In fact, I even told him to correct uh, his misquote uh, by saying that I, you know, I said, hey, I never said two years. I said a few, uh, but I, the guy has not responded at all. So I mean, he's obviously afraid to actually have a real debate with anybody on the topic of gold. He'd rather just call me names uh, in his uh, in his articles where he doesn't have to defend anything uh, that he says or try to uh, you know, defend what he believes. Because I think I would show the guy up to be to be a crackpot and a fool. Right? But while I'm on this topic, more and more mainstream people, smart, sophisticated firms are talking gold. Look at Goldman Sachs. Look at the research that they're putting out. And some of the other, Morgan Stanley. I mean, a lot now people now, you know, are making the case for gold. Not that a lot of their clients have bought it yet, in fact, if you look at gold stocks that were up pretty sharply on Monday, a lot of them closed near the lows of the day. They were still up, but they had lost more than half their gains, even though gold closed on the high of the day. And even though gold was up again today, and this is another record close, right, for the price of gold, and even though we had another solid gain, most gold stocks were down today. The GDX was down uh, a little over half a percent. The GDXJ was down almost 1.3%. Uh, so down day for gold stocks, even though it was an up day for gold. Again, this is a bull market that's climbing a wall of worry. We are not getting any kind of irrational exuberance. In fact, even if gold goes down from its current price, several hundred dollars, these gold stocks are, are really cheap. The gold stocks are not pricing in $1,900 gold. I don't even know if they're pricing in $1,500 gold. Maybe, uh, but they're so far behind the curve. People are staring at this rally in disbelief. They don't understand why gold's going up, so they just assume that it's going to stop and that the price is going to fall. So again, this stuff happening, uh, people coming out with articles, how gold people buying gold are fools and crackpots and Gartman are getting out of gold and you know nobody understanding it. This is all great stuff. Uh, for anybody who's worried about a crowded trade or about too many people uh, getting into it. We're not even close to, to that happening. But what a lot of these other firms are talking about is the new reality of permanent QE, QE infinity, 0% interest rates forever. I mean, I was talking about this years and years ago because I knew it was coming. But now the people that made fun of me for saying it was coming. A lot of them are saying it's here and admitting that. And it's funny, you know, I was listening to, again, these guys on CNBC talking about the valuations of these tech stocks because they're now so high, right? The earnings aren't going up, but the stock price is going up. 
and they're discussing it and they're saying, well, you know, how do you put a valuation on a stock when you have QE infinity? Meaning that stocks are a lot more valuable now, right? Because you can't use traditional methods of valuation when we're in a new world of 0% interest rates and QE forever, stocks must be much more valuable in this new reality. And, you know, so that's how they're justifying uh, that this time it's different. And so trees can grow to the sky. But what they don't seem to understand is the negative of this new reality. That what does it actually mean to have QE infinity? This is not a good thing. I mean, if this was a good thing, if we could just have permanently higher stock prices and we could all be rich and all we had to do was have QE infinity, why didn't we have it sooner? Why did we wait so long? Why did we need COVID-19 to do it? Why didn't we just do it on our own? If it's so great, if printing all this money is such a great thing and keeping interest rates at zero can make us all rich and nobody has to work and this is like a new era of permanent prosperity, why didn't we get here sooner? Why did we wait so long? Why did it take a pandemic to get us to do this great thing? Obviously, it's not great, but these guys can't understand the negative consequences of what is pushing stocks up. Instead of thinking about how do you value the stock market in a world of QE, they should be thinking about how do you value the dollar? What's the dollar going to be worth with QE infinity? That is the problem. And what stocks are telling you by going up is that the dollar is going down. That's really what they're saying. Hey, it doesn't matter what you pay for a stock in dollars because at the end of the day, the dollar could be worthless. So what's a stock worth in worthless dollars? Well, it's worth infinity, right? I mean, I mean, how much monopoly money? If you all you have is monopoly money, you have the, the, this, the money from the game monopoly, how much monopoly money do you need to buy a share of stock? Well, I guess an infinite amount. Because no matter how much monopoly money you try to use, it's not enough because it has no value. So that's really what they're saying. But they don't appreciate the significance. What does this mean to the economy? What does it mean to stockholders if they own stocks, but the dollar is worthless? Right? Are they really better off just because they have a portfolio that's worth infinity in terms of dollars <laughs> when the dollar has no value, but they have to eat? <laughs> they got to buy energy and, you know, the price of that is actually higher, you know, in terms of gold than, than the price of their stocks. And even in reading some of these mainstream articles like Goldman Sachs, they are writing about the dollar losing its reserve currency status and actually saying it's probably going to happen, right? Again, only crackpots like me five, 10 years ago were saying the dollar could lose its reserve currency status. Others were saying that's impossible. Well, now the possible has become the probable because the people who are saying it would never happen are now contemplating it happening. And they're saying, look, if we're going to keep running these deficits, which we're going to do, and we're going to have these negative interest rates, and of course, the negative interest rates are actually far more negative than they think because they're using the CPI. They're taking the rate of interest, and they're subtracting the CPI, which the CPI barely scratches the surface on how high inflation is. So interest rates are much more negative than what these guys think. But even with the, the rates that they believe, they're saying, hey, the dollar can't be the reserve currency if this is going to be our monetary policy. So they're already accepting that reality, and they are contemplating the fact that gold 
will supplant the dollar, which is what I've been saying the whole time, because they realize correctly that the euro is not ready to take the dollar's place, that the, the pound or the yen or the Chinese RMB, these currencies are not ready to supplant the dollar. They're not. I've known that the whole time. See, one of the reasons that all these guys five, 10 years ago kept saying the dollar would never lose its reserve currency status was because they didn't know any other currency that could take its place. And my point was, you're right. No other currency will take its place. Real money will take its place. Gold will take its place because gold was there before the dollar. The dollar replaced gold and did a lousy job. And now gold is taking its spot back. Gold is going to replace the dollar, which replaced it. So the world's going to go back to what works and reject what didn't. But what's interesting is that these guys that are correctly contemplating the dollar's loss of its reserve status, they don't then connect the dots to what that actually means for America. See, what they don't seem to understand is the entire house of cards economy that has been erected over the years. And the Federal Reserve has been the architect of this house of cards economy, but it's rested on the foundation of the dollar's reserve currency status. If the dollar loses that status, then the foundation crumbles and the whole house of cards topples. That's what's going to happen. The American standard of living is hostage to the dollar's role as the reserve currency. And it's not just that all this money printing and negative rates is pushing the dollar from that status. But now, you know, you have President Trump threatening the Chinese. And one of the things he's threatening to do is, hey, we're not going to pay the interest on the debt. We're not going to pay the principal. Well, the world is holding U.S. treasuries. That's where they hold their dollars in U.S. treasuries. And now we're saying, yeah, we may not pay. We may just default if we don't like what you're doing. If we have a trade dispute with you, well, we'll just, you know, we'll just, we got an ace up our sleeves. Well, we just won't pay you interest on your bonds or we just won't repay the principal. Well, the minute we show that ace up our sleeves, who the hell wants to play cards with us? Nobody. If we're telling the world we're going to cheat, well, then you want to get out of the game. You're not going to play cards with a cheater. So we are actually pushing the world faster. That's what Ray Dalio was talking about that. I saw him on an interview. Uh, I mean, it was on Bloomberg. It was on Fox. I forget, but he was talking about this, talking about how we are jeopardizing the dollar's role as a reserve currency. I've never seen so many mainstream uh, investors saying what I've been saying for years. So they're now coming to the conclusion that I came to long ago, right? But they're not really uh, contemplating or letting people know the the ramifications of this and what it means, what it portends for the U.S. economy. Because when the dollar collapses, that's it, right? Americans are going to be poorer, right? Our currency is going to be marked down. That means all the prices are going to be marked up, right? Everything in America today is much cheaper as a result of the dollar's reserve status. All the goods that we buy are cheaper because of the overvalued dollar. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. 
The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When the world is no longer hoarding dollars and holding them in financial assets, the dollar is going to plunge. And then everything we want to buy is going to get much more expensive, double, triple or more what we're paying. And so Americans are going to be much poorer, which we should have been a long time ago. Our consumption is going to reflect our true productivity, not our ability to print money, our ability to produce stuff. And it's much easier to print money than produce stuff. So we're not going to get access to all the world's stuff anymore unless we make our own stuff to trade because they're not just going to take our dollars. Trade is going to have to balance. So Americans are going to be poor, the whole consumer-based economy. But remember, if you have a GDP that's now almost 90% consumer spending, well, what happens when consumers are too poor to spend? What happens to an economy that's built for excess consumption, for consumers that don't have to save? that don't have to produce. They can just go out and spend. They can consume what everybody else produces. They can borrow what everybody else saves. This economy is built for the dollar being the reserve currency. It can't function if that's not the case. So this is a massive economic implosion that nobody seems to get, right? How much the dollar is going to fall, how vulnerable we are. Now, of course, all of this is going to be a major positive for the rest of the world. They're no longer going to have to support the American economy. They're not going to have to consume less so we can consume more. They're not going to have to divert their savings to Americans. They'll be able to use their savings themselves. So when the dollar crashes and everything becomes more expensive for Americans, stuff becomes less expensive for everybody else. See, all the production doesn't stop. That continues. What changes is who consumes what's produced. Right now, Americans consume a disproportionate amount of what's produced because the dollar is overvalued as the reserve currency. And so we outbid the rest of the world for the stuff that they make. Well, when the dollar crashes, all of a sudden we're priced out of the market. Now we can't afford to buy the stuff that used to be very affordable. 
But now that means a lot of people around the world, now all of a sudden they can buy stuff that used to be too expensive. So American consume less, the rest of the world consumes more. We become poorer, the rest of the world becomes richer. What I want to do with my clients is I want to join that winning team. I want my clients to have the currencies that are going to gain the value the dollar loses. And gold is going to gain the most purchasing power. So we need to own that. You know, I used to joke in my seminars uh, about the fact that, you know, I would say, hey, how many people, you know, take vacations to a poor country? You know, a country where, you know, it's a much lower per capita income than the United States. One of the fun things about those vacations is that everything is inexpensive right? The hotels are cheap. The restaurants are cheap. You get a haircut, right? Anything you do, especially services, right? Things are lower in price because it's a poorer country. So the whole price structure is lower, right? Well, I say the good news is, you know, as in a joking manner, is pretty soon you won't have to take a vacation to be in a poor country. You'll be living in one. But, you know, that doesn't mean you have to be poor. So if you save in foreign currencies and in gold, then, when the dollar crashes, you're going to be like a rich tourist in a poor country, except you'll be in America and you won't be a tourist. You'll be living here. And of course, there will be tourists that are coming here to take advantage of how cheap everything is in America. But most Americans aren't going to have that ability because they they, they would have only had U.S. dollars. They wouldn't have had any foreign assets and they wouldn't have had any gold. But the main point I'm trying to make is that you've got a lot of people that are now saying the dollar is going to lose its reserve currency status without actually understanding the implications of that comment. See, I've known it all the time. I knew what that means what you know for America and for our standard of living. And the scary part of it is I know how bad it's going to be. And I know that it's going to be blamed on capitalism. It's going to be blamed on the free market. And so the solution is going to be we need even more socialism than what we've got now. We need to give the Federal Reserve even more power than it, it already abused. And so it's, it, is, it is particularly dangerous. Maybe had this crash happened a decade ago, A, we would have crashed from a, a lower level, so it wouldn't have been as bad. But B, the public's mindset wasn't as far left uh, as it is now. So it's, you know, it, it, it is so much worse that we kicked the can down the road. Yeah, I'll end up making a lot more money as a result of it. And the fact that I now live in Puerto Rico and I don't have to pay the taxes, you know, that 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 makes it a lot better. But personally, I wish we would have gotten over with over a decade ago. And I wish we'd have made the right choices back then uh, so that America could be on a much sounder footing and I could be investing in U.S. stocks uh, right now as opposed to having to buy more gold stocks. Also, it appears that the new stimulus, I guess, is getting closer. The Republicans are under a lot of pressure to come up with something. They've got this new trillion dollar stimulus bill. Of course, the Democrats are saying it's too small. You know, we need three trillion dollars. The problem for the Republicans, I think, is once you are a favor of one trillion, well, how do you oppose three trillion? Right. Because, you know, in theory, what the Republicans have to say is, well, we can't afford $3 trillion. Well, we can't afford $1 trillion. How do we afford that? So if you're in favor for spending $1 trillion that we don't have, well, why are you opposed to spending $3 trillion that we don't have? I mean, if spending money you don't have is a good thing, then why not spend more of it, right? If we're getting it all for free, then why not take advantage of it? Why not get more free stuff, right? So you really have no position to argue from once you've made the mistake of accepting that 
printing a trillion dollars and spending it is going to help the economy, you really have no way of arguing that printing three trillion is somehow a bad thing. And in fact, Larry Kudlow, who is, you know, a big promoter of this plan, I guarantee you, if Larry Kudlow was still a commentator, he would be opposing this, especially if a Democrat had proposed it. But even a Republican, I bet Kudlow would have been saying that this is a bad idea, which again, remember, when Larry Kudlow was initially appointed to his job and there were people who were saying, oh, wow, this is great. Kudlow is going to influence Trump. I said, no, no, no. Trump's going to influence Kudlow. I said Trump wanted Kudlow in his administration to shut him up so that he would no longer criticize him, right? It's like keep your your, your friends close and your enemies closer. Kudlow was going to be an enemy with all his free market economics and king dollar and 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 and, and free trade. And so he said, "Hey, I'm going to I'm going to bring Kudlow into my administration so he'll no longer be out there criticizing me. I'll put a muzzle on the guy and I actually more less than a, he'll, he'll be my puppet and he'll go out there, you know, talking about how great I am, which is exactly what happened." But what are the Republicans proposing? Well, again, you know, they want $1200 stimulus checks. Everybody gets the checks whether you're employed or not, right? Even if you're making more money now than you were making before COVID or the same money, right? If you have been completely unimpacted, well, you just get the extra 1200 bucks because, you know, we want you to go spend that money. Uh, the only limitation is if you, you earn too much, right? So I forget what the cutoffs are, but it gets phased out above 75 or 100 or 1,000. And I think by the time you hit $200,000 a year in income for a family, then I guess you don't get any any more uh, stimulus checks. They also, you know, want to uh, expand and continue the PPP, uh, more loans to businesses that don't need it, uh, more loans to businesses that are never going to repay it, uh, more loans to businesses that are going to fail anyway. And so now they're just going to get government money or they're just going to stay in business longer than they should, wasting resources longer than they should. Uh, So all of this stuff is counterproductive. But Where we're getting the most amount of argument is over the supplemental unemployment benefits, the $600 a week federal supplement. And if you remember on this podcast, when they initially proposed it, they said it would be around for four months. I said, no way. Doesn't matter because they're going to extend it because once you've given out this money, nobody is going to take it away, especially in in an election year. Now, the Republicans are trying to partially take it away. Remember, I think I said on the podcast last week, they were saying that they are proposing that the benefits only equal 70% of what you were making when you were working. Because they recognize now that something like three quarters of the people who are getting the $600 are actually getting more uh, in unemployment than they were when they were working. And it's actually even a bigger amount when you figure that the tax benefits and the fact that you don't have to commute and you save all that cost, it's a huge windfall uh, that people are getting. And so the Republicans are saying, look, you know, we, we, you know we've been paying people not to work uh, for four months now. That's a bad idea. So let's at least make sure that they can't make more money uh, not working than working. Uh, but since they realize that the states don't even have the resources to figure out what 70% of what they were working was, they, their idea was, hey, let's just do it $200. We'll make it $200 temporarily uh, and to give the states some time to figure out how to, how to make it 70%, right? So that's what they want to do. But what the Republicans still don't seem to get is paying somebody 70% 
of what they were earning when they worked is still a big incentive not to work because there's not enough of a gain to work. Plus, they continue to get their local unemployment benefits. So it's almost the same. And, you know, people are not dumb. You know, people are not going to work when you're paying them not to, or they're not going to work when you're paying them to take a vacation. You know, Chuck Schumer was out there today, and he was saying that Republicans think that the American public are a bunch of loafers, right? That's the problem. They think they're a bunch of loafers. They don't think they're loafers. They just don't think they're idiots, right? What idiot is going to turn down a paid vacation? Nobody. What I mean, Schumer's the idiot for not getting this. Does he not understand? You know, well, obviously, he's a Democrat. He doesn't understand or he doesn't care, right? Because, you know, it's like, oh, you're insulting Americans. He's insulting Americans <laughs> by, by assuming that, that they're so dumb that they're going to work when they can get paid more not to work or even paid the same. Look, why do people look forward to retiring? Because they can stop working, right? People... People save their whole life and they work just so they can stop working. Well, now they can, they can retire early. I mean, this is like early retirement, right? What if you can keep this going indefinitely? People work to get money. If the government says you can have the money without working, well, it's a no-brainer. People aren't going to work. You know, it's funny. I keep hearing people saying, well, is there a study? Like they want to know, has anybody done a study to determine whether or not paying people not to work leads in people not working. I mean, you don't need to study something like that. That is just basic common sense, right? If you pay people to do something, they'll do it. In this case, it's not to do it. People go to work to get money. Under the current system, if you go to work, you lose money, right? You're making more money not working, and by showing up at work, you actually give back some of the money that you were earning not working. What kind of idiot would do that? And what kind of bigger idiot thinks we need to study to figure out how people are going to respond to those kind of incentives? See, that's the problem with politicians. They don't understand how people respond to incentives. The government creates incentives and people will organize their lives and their affairs to qualify for any money that the government is handing out. So when the government wants to pay the unemployed, a lot more people become unemployed because they want to get paid. See, the government says, oh, here's a problem. We have too many unemployed people. So the solution is we need unemployment benefits. We need lucrative unemployment benefits. And the minute they do that, all of a sudden more people are unemployed because they want the benefits. So they change their employment status to get the benefits. That's what happens. You know, the only good thing in this whole uh, Republican plan is the liability protection. That's the only thing that's positive, right? The Republican senators, and apparently the Democrats don't want this because, of course, they're in the hip pocket of the trial lawyers. But the Republicans want to make it so you can't sue your boss or you can't sue a restaurant or someplace where you claim you got COVID, which is a good thing because otherwise businesses are going to get shaken down. It's not just businesses, hospitals, schools. How do you open a business if anybody can claim that they came to your business and they got COVID and now they're suing you? I mean, that is ridiculous liability. Uh, and it's only because of the litigious nature of our society that we even have to do this, but we need to do it because we're creating more incentives uh, for businesses not to reopen because they can't afford to take the risk of a frivolous lawsuit because how do you even prove where you got COVID? I mean, you could get it anywhere. 
But as I said on this podcast before, people have to accept responsibility. Everybody knows COVID is out there. So if you want to go out in public, if you want to go out to a business, you are running the risk of getting COVID. Now, if the business is negligent, if, you know, if they knowingly allow their employees who have COVID and have tested positive to work, then maybe that's a different story. But if the businesses are taking precautions and you go in there and somehow you get it, hey, that's life. I mean, you can get hit by a car on the way to the store. It's not the store's fault. You took a risk just by getting out of bed. Getting a disease is a risk that we all assume if we want to interact with other human beings. Now, I know some people can say, well, but what if I have to go to work, right? I, I, I mean, I need to go to work. And then what if I get COVID? Well, you know what? You don't need, you can quit your job. That's, you know, start your own business, work from home, right? You, you, don't, you don't have a right. If an employer tells you, hey, I've got a job for you, but in order to do it, you have to show up at work. You can choose, well, I don't want to risk getting COVID. Okay, then don't go to work. Just like you're risking getting into an automobile accident when you drive to work. I mean, could you tell your boss, you know, I don't want to drive to my office because it's a long drive. There's a big chance that I'm going to get into a car accident. So I don't want to take the risk of getting into a car accident. So I'm just going to stay home, but you got to pay me anyway. Could you do that? Of course not. Well, the same thing with COVID. If you have a right not to want to subject yourself to COVID, but you can't make your boss pay you to work if you don't want to take the risk of getting sick. So you stay home and you figure out another way to make a living. But if you can't and you need to pay your rent, if you need to put food on the table, well, then just like you risk getting in a car accident when you drive to work, you've got to risk catching COVID at work and you can't sue your boss. Uh, if that happens. But apparently the Democrats want to make sure that uh, businesses are subjected to frivolous lawsuits, which, of course, simply runs up the cost of business and will uh, weaken an already uh, weak economy. Oh, I didn't want to finish this podcast without acknowledging the rally in Bitcoin. You know, I have been talking about Bitcoin's failure to rally and join the party in gold and silver. Well, that finally changed at the end of last week, uh, Bitcoin got back above 10,000. And as I am recording this podcast, it is just above 11,000. So Bitcoin has broken out of that range, but it hasn't broken out of any type of significant resistance as far as I'm concerned. In fact, the last three times that Bitcoin has gotten above 10,000 in the last year or so, year and a half, every time it's gotten above it, it's collapsed shortly thereafter, although the last time it only dropped 15%. So that was not nearly as big a drop as the prior two. But as far as I'm concerned, nothing significant has happened to Bitcoin. I think what's happened is that now we've created some enthusiasm. Uh, Dennis, you know, I'm seeing all the, uh, the people on CNBC, uh, the Bitcoin shills who have been pulled out. Uh, Brian Kelly, again, with his you know, 20,000 target this year, 50,000 next year, you know, pie in the sky, other big numbers are coming out. That's what's creating the enthusiasm. That's what's suckering some more people into the market. I think the fact that gold and silver were just so strong, uh, Bitcoin was able to get a ride on, on those coattails. People were assuming that, hey, if gold and silver are this strong, Bitcoin is going to be strong too. You know, if Bitcoin is the new gold, why is Bitcoin catching a ride on gold? Why is gold and silver the leaders 
And why is Bitcoin following? Now, I know some people will say, yeah, but Bitcoin has made a bigger move. Sure, because it's less liquid. The market is more manipulated. But it's not the size of the move. It's the timing of the move. Gold and silver moved first. Gold and silver reacted to the Fed money printing, uh, to the the, uh, resurgence of COVID, to the big deficits. That's where the money went. The money was going into gold and silver, not Bitcoin. It's only because gold and silver made such a move that now people started saying, hey, Bitcoin might go up too. And they started buying it as a speculation that it might do the same thing as gold and silver. But gold and silver had already done what people were speculating Bitcoin would do. But they're speculating wrong. And I think what happened too is some of the big money that's been getting out of Bitcoin decided to pull back because they knew in this environment Maybe the price can move up a little higher. Maybe they even help pump it up by becoming buyers so they can get the price higher so they would be able to sell into a higher price and sell into some new buying that was created based on Bitcoin going up. Because that is what happens. The people in Bitcoin, they have so much hope, right? And they're so confident. It's like, it's, there's like not even a doubt in their mind that they're wrong. So every time they see Bitcoin start to move up, this is it. This is the moonshot. We're going to a million, right? They're so excited. The minute they see it move, they rush in to buy. And I think the sellers know how easy it is to tempt these guys because they're so convinced that they're right. So all they got to do is give them a little taste, get it to move up a little bit, generate some FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. Oh my God, here it comes. I can't miss out. I got to buy. And they rush in and then it gets dumped. So this is the pump. Get ready for the dump. And by the way, you know, on on uh, Monday night or Sunday night, Sunday night, when gold made a new record high and Bitcoin jumped above 10,000, I, I started exchanging comments on Twitter with Anthony Pompliano, otherwise known as Pomp. And I and a- after we started, like, you know, changing, uh, uh, you know, uh, comments, I said, hey, why don't we just go live on YouTube and let's discuss this. It's a big event for both Bitcoin above 10,000 and gold at a record high. Let's talk about it. So we ended up doing like an hour and a half live uh, podcast Sunday night uh, on on YouTube. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. It's interesting. We actually posted it on uh, Shift Radio yesterday. So yesterday wasn't live, but we posted it just so people who just listened on Shift Radio would have a another podcast to to listen to. But anyway... Check it out. Again, as I reminded people on uh, on my last podcast, the one I the special one that I did on the Americans with Disabilities Act, make sure to rate and review my podcast on on iTunes or you know Apple Podcasts. The, the more ratings, the more comments and reviews, uh, the better. I need more people to start stumbling on my podcast, listen to it. Same thing on YouTube. Uh, give me a thumbs up that you know that you like it. Add a comment, even if it's a short one. Throw it out there. The more comments, the more likes, the higher up I am. And then people start seeing uh, my videos who didn't even know they were there. I'm really intending to make a bigger move on uh, on Instagram. I mean, we're already planning a lot of stuff. I mean, it's a little bit slow right now because I'm, I'm planning on rolling out a lot of in- Instagram content. Uh, right now, I'm trying to get more people to follow me on Instagram just to get a bigger platform. We're only about 40,000 people right now. Again, I've got 
what, almost 270,000 Twitter followers, almost 360,000 followers now or subscribers to my YouTube channel. So a lot of people uh, need to get on uh, Instagram, need to follow me. It's Peter Schiff, easy to find me. Uh, but just make sure you're following me because a lot of good stuff's going to be coming out on Instagram. But more important, I want to get to the Instagram audience. I want to have influence uh, with younger people who are on that platform and and, and who are more likely uh, to hear what I have to say if I'm saying it on Instagram. So, you know, make sure that you that you join in and help me in that effort by uh, by following me on Instagram. 